89.9 The Light. This is Positive Radio in community conversation with Clayton and a man who has been so generous uh, with us over the course of COVID-19. He joins us once again. He is one of the most popular guests we've ever had on our program, Dr. Rob Grenfell. He is the head of the Health and Biosecurity Unit at the CSIRO. Dr. Rob, thank you once again for your time. Yeah, good evening, Clayton. It's a pleasure to be here. Look, thank you so much, and uh, you are an incredibly busy man. We've got you for half an hour, and people are, are ready. Uh, we've got calls banked up, people sending in their questions. We'll get to those in just a moment. But first, we just want to check in. How are the team going? Uh, I think the very first time we had a chat to you, it was only a few weeks into all of this, and uh, you were already run off your feet. Has, that, has there been any relief, or has it just got faster for you and your team? Well, look, the team's trying to actually squeeze in what normally takes about two years into a few months, and uh, we're probably only about a month away from actually doing our final test result analysis so that we can actually get the uh, the news out that I... And most, most people said it's probably the worst-kept secret in show business because, you know, look, Oxford's out there with their final human studies at the moment, which is fantastic. It was one of the ones that we took through our uh, what are called preclinical studies in our laboratory in Geelong, so... The team have not stopped. <laughs> that, that's sort of where we sit. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. And, you know, we, we're so grateful for all of the work that you're doing. Um, Dr. Rob, look, I might have a few questions as we go, but let's get to everybody as we, we come through. Um, Angela in Noble Park. Uh, Angela, you do have a question a- around the vaccine. Uh, you're on uh, with I... Dr. Rob. Hi, Dr. Rob. Um, Dr. Rob, according to you know, the DHS website as of August the 17th, there's a 98.04% recovery rate here in Victoria from COVID and with a fatality rate as low as 1.96 and the chances of not dying from COVID in Victoria being 99.995%, why would the government be pushing for a vaccine to be released to the public that has not passed through the normal rigorous testing and clinical trials? Couldn't that pose more of a risk um, with adverse effects to the public than the virus itself? Yeah, look, it's a, it's, it's a very good point you make. First, let's talk about the safety issue. One of the things that um, the study we've done, and we... we uh, uh, started with two of the, um, uh, well, the early ones that were actually showed a lot of promise. So Inovio and uh, the Oxford vaccines are the two that we did what are called preclinical studies. Now, those studies are done um, to a very exacting standards, which is why we're still at it, um, to prove for the international drug regulators that they're, in fact, actually safe and do what they're supposed to do. Now, we do it in animal models, obviously, and the studies are now gone into the human ones. And this is why you can't rush those. And um, what, what is, whilst we're developing vaccines at record speed, there is no compromise on the safety uh, and quality standards because even after we finish, say, the phase three studies in humans, there still is the exacting process of making these things, which is, again, a highly regulated process um, and, uh, and goes uh, through a huge number of steps. And the other question you had about the chance of contracting and the chance of... Uh, of, uh, of dying from this. Thankfully, in Australia, the death rate is much lower than in other settings. But the problem is it's still going to be a lot of people because virtually all of us have not been exposed to this virus. And mm. if we were, we would catch it. 
The other thing is, is that the virus itself can cause serious longer-term um, problems. Now, these are becoming more and more apparent because you know, at the start of the year, we didn't know what this virus did to you um, in the long term. Now we're seeing from uh, Spain, Europe, uh, other places, US, for instance, the long-term effects of this virus. And I'll tell you now, it's one thing you actually don't want to catch with long-term lung damage, potential to damage to your heart, Definitely kidney damage is, um, is part of this. And there are a whole range of neurological things which um, are starting to appear as well, from strokes right through to um, some balance disorders and movement disorders, which um, we have seen with pandemic viruses um, before, and certainly a, a good reason why we don't want to catch something that none of us have immunity to. Yeah. Angela, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate your question. Thanks. Um, Thank you. Thanks, Clayton. Good idea. Thanks Thank so you, much. Dr. Rob. Good idea. Thank you, Angela. Uh, we've also got uh, Brian joining us from Narriwarren North as well. One three hundred triple seven eight double nine is the phone number. One three hundred triple seven eight double nine to ask your question of Dr. Rob Grenfell from the CSIRO, and as we've been hearing, working on one of these vaccines and hoping to get that out uh, pretty soon in terms of the, for the next stages. Um, Brian, uh, you're on with Dr. Rob. Thank you very much, Clayton. Uh, hello, Dr. Rob. Thanks for taking the call. Um, <clears throat> I've just got a query. I was reading a, a very interesting article in uh, um, on the ABC website, and it was discussing there was there was at least three different ways of being able to make a vaccine. I think that was the crux of the article. Um, and I just wanted to know: Are we in Australia able to do the three different types of ways of producing a vaccine? Um, and and is the testing procedure? Um, shorter with one than another, or is it the same for all of them? Yeah, look, uh, the first thing is that all um, pro manufacturing processes that make a vaccine are actually only accredited for that particular vaccine. So for any new vaccines, they have to go through the whole standards and um, regulatory process to actually get approved to do so. And you must say it's an extremely exacting process because none of us want to have a vaccine or a drug that uh, isn't what it's supposed to be and needs to be safe, which is why, you know, often with some of the others, our, our, our drug regulator is very strict on um, uh, these things and blocks a lot of uh, substandard produced uh, vaccines and drugs that this country could be exposed to. So that's the reassuring part. Now, the part about making it, we're very fortunate in this country to have CSL, but they make uh, an, the uh, seasonal flu in injection and they also make um, what are called recombinant proteins and that, that's actually used for some particular drugs. Now, the challenge that uh, CSL would have to modify uh, a factory process to build the University of Queensland vaccine if it's shown to work, and uh, they would also have to modify their factory if the Oxford one works. And there's, I understand, discussions on both of these. If they both work, that uh, CSL could make those. Some of the other vaccines are highly specialised and require highly specialised process and we'd be starting from scratch if we were to make factories to do, to, uh, to do those. So it's far better to import them. Mm. OK, that makes sense. Yeah. And, and the testing process, is, is that one's just as long as the other? The actual process? Yeah, yeah. Of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the testing process for, for, um, for, for factories, one. But the TGA, the Therapeutic Association, has a, um, uh, an independent and very strong process to, to approve the manufacturing process. Um, for uh, making any uh, vaccines or drugs or in, for the importation of any. So we're very fortunate in this country. We have one of the best and strongest regulatory processes here. That's great. Yeah, yeah. excellent. Brian, thank, thank you. you so much for your time. 
Thank you very much. Good on you. Thank you. Thanks for your question. one 899 to phone through your question for Dr. Rob Grenfell from the CSIRO. As we've been hearing, a part of the team, in fact, heading up the team, who's working on one of these potential vaccines. You can text through as well, 0428 899 899, your question for Dr. Rob. Um, just sort of on the back of what Brian was asking there, um, Dr. Rob, I'd love to ask, you know, obviously during the week we heard a bit the last little while about Russia suddenly having a, a vaccine. There was a bit of scepticism around. What was your reaction as you heard about that? Uh, look, they, I think they've rushed it, um, is my, my point there. But they haven't published anything, uh, Clayton, so which, which in, in the medical world we will be publishing our results to our peers in the medical journals and then they provide a critique of um, how accurate and how thorough our work was and our methods. Uh, the Russians have published nothing, so I really can't comment um, on, on what type of vaccine it is or, in fact, actually what sort of testing they've done. Let's just say we've been working as fast as you possibly can. You could not have done what we've done uh, any faster. And uh, so I'm a little bit uh, sceptical. Yep, yep. And I, I think... Um Certainly when it's not coming with all that documentation behind it and, and any of that, we, we need to be a bit, hold that with scepticism as we go forward as well. Um, Dr. Rob, I'd love to ask the questions around, you know, um, you obviously even from the start of our conversation today, you know, we're talking about we're constantly learning and understanding more of the impacts of what is occurring uh, with this virus. In terms of how we are looking at it, you know, here in Melbourne, we're in stage four lockdown at the moment. It's, um, you know, it's very different to any other part of the country. Uh, from your perspective and, and understanding, you're not the chief health officer in that regards either, but how do you think we are going in, in terms of the current path and trajectory? What, what do you think's probably the next next few weeks for us? Look, uh, again, Victorians have shone in, um, in following uh, largely what they've been asked to do. And for that reason, we've now seen uh, what could have been. We would have been in the tens of thousands of cases mm. um, if, this, if, if we weren't under these circumstances. With, you know, thousands of people fighting for their lives or losing it. Um, and that's, that's been the experience in so many other countries that we're not able to do what we've been able to do in this circumstance. This is horrible. I mean, there's no, there's, there is nothing pleasant about being locked into your house. Um, uh, and we've got another three weeks of this. Uh, I would suggest that once we get to levels around the 30, 20s to 30s or so, that um, we'll find a chief health officer will be considering the idea of relaxing the three. We're looking at the future. The future will be somewhat like what it's like in New South Wales, um, what we call the simmer state. And that is... Um, you'll be going vacillating between level two and three um, shutdown uh, until we actually have a successful vaccine. Yeah. And uh, it seems to me from certainly the experience that, you know, we've been having here is that um, as everyone went from sort of three down to two um, and maybe overall the protocols weren't all great, um, everybody's realising, look, you've got to take this seriously now. And, and um, when you go up and down, up and down, if we can do that, we can hopefully stop some of the worst happening because it is about still my understanding i would like to ask the question it is still about not overloading our system our health system but at the same time as you're saying it now too you know we don't know some of these long-term effects it, this is this is for everyone's good not just the good of somebody else now as well yeah look the figures are horrendous for my colleagues the health professionals you know there's well over two and a half thousand of them um mm. with the disease that's that's just terrible um and and the, and the death rates that that the deaths that we've actually had um, have also been, 
you know, absolutely awful. And anyone involved in those knows the, 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 the dreadful part of not being able to hold their, their loved ones and things in, the, in their final moments and things. This is, this is, there's, there's nothing nice about this. Now, the lockdown really is to actually make sure that if any of us catch this virus, we have a good chance of getting hospital care. Now, what we've seen in countries that haven't had um, such uh, good control is people get rationed care. So many people don't get any care at all, um, and, and that's not the position we're here in Australia. So that's really what the lockdown's doing, and it's the only thing we can actually do at the moment to try to control or temper the rate of uh, people getting this infection. Yeah. Um, from your perspective, Dr Rob, do you, do you think there is a opportunity, um, even, I suppose, putting a vaccine aside for a moment, but is there an opportunity for a, a country or a region to actually get to a place where they've got rid of it is that sort of realistic or is it always until we get a vaccine it's going to sort of keep bubbling up i'm thinking of places like you know the, the what's occurring maybe in new zealand and we've seen it bits and pieces here and there is that what's going to be the pattern worldwide without a, a vaccine or could you actually get to a point where if you lock it out it, it should be gone I think elimination is, uh, is, a, is whilst a noble goal is, uh, is, is, is basically impossible. Um, we are, we're going to have to live with this virus. Uh, as we've got to understand this virus, and we've been doing all sorts of tests to understand its survivability, this is a very tenacious um, enemy, as I'd call it, because it, uh, it can live for many days um, on surfaces. And so uh, you can pick it up with your hands and put, put your hands onto your face. So. The virus is around and unless you could actually eliminate it from the, the environment, uh, there's still a risk of contracting it. So that's how hard this is. And we've seen in New Zealand, for instance, um, yeah, they had reintroduced from some return travellers. Um, Singapore has seen it coming in uh, with workers that are coming through in various areas. Uh, you just can't close things down. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why the work that you're doing at the CSIRO is so incredibly important, but also the work that everyone is doing in, in playing their part at the moment. We all need to do that together. This is something that um, hopefully we'll never experience again, but uh, only if we do it together correctly. Dr Rob Grenfell uh, is the man behind the Health and Biosecurity Unit at the CSIRO. He is here to answer your questions for the next 10 minutes or so. So get those through one 777 to ask him a question, you can text through as well, 0428 899 899. We've got a few questions that uh, we're going to be asking Dr. Rob that people have sent to us. 0428 899 899. More from Dr. Rob next in just two minutes here on 89.9 The Light. In conversation with Clayton. This is In Community Conversation with Clayton, 89.9 The Light. Dr. Rob Grenfell, the man behind the CSIRO Biosecurity and Health Unit is with us. He's uh, joining us just for the next 10 minutes or so, answering your questions. Um, Dr. Rob, we've got uh, a few more questions coming through as well. Linda asks, uh, now 0428 899 899 to text through your questions, 0428 899 899. Linda says, uh, given the rush to find a vaccine, if they do find one, and as, as we've said, you're working on it, how can we be sure that it's safe long-term not just in the, the short term. How, how do we actually check that vaccines are safe long term? Yeah, that's a very good question because the, the, the usual pathway to developing vaccines is 10 years and uh, that is to get to understand 
um, how safe they are and what the long-term effects are. So the phase three studies are looking for uh, at this stage that, say, for example, what the Oxford vaccine is doing is treated in, uh, in, uh, in people in Brazil and South Africa. And uh, what it's looking for is side effects and effectiveness of the vaccine in preventing the infection. Now, that's short-term goals. The longer-term goals are that we know that it's sitting on a, um, a platform that has been used for other vaccines before, and it is uh, really just an additional protein that's put into that um, viral vector, as it's called, that covers for the coronavirus. So it's, uh, it's, it's pretty likely that it will not have the longer-term effects, but a very good question and one that people will look for, and it is going to be one that is going to play on many people's um, minds as we go through. The reality is, if, if, if any vaccine successful by the end of the year, it will still take another um, up to six months for them to produce it to scale and then the idea of actually having immunisation schedules. So we will be looking at, obviously, rolling through uh, studies on what are the actual uh, other effects that may be happening with this. But, again, something that we are looking for and uh, I have some confidence in knowing platforms for vaccines it's the new experimental ones that i um, would like to see more data on yeah um the prime minister's come out and said look for anybody who is you know we're going to cover the cost whatever the cost is for a vaccine when it does does happen and and occur and i'm i'm assuming you're quite pleased about that there's obviously some skepticism around uh, for some people who who have skepticism around anti anti-vaxxing things um if there were a certain portion of the population who didn't have the vaccine, would that actually compromise the, the general population, Dr Rob? Is there a certain percentage that needs to have it to ensure that the vaccine actually comes into to force well or is it each person who gets it would actually then be safer? Yeah, if, if, if everyone was to actually have it, it would be um, uh, very uh, um, efficacious as a vaccine. So the problem is, is if, the, if there are large numbers of people who haven't got it, that unfortunately means that there are many susceptible people. Now, we need to open up uh, society again, and to do that, we need uh, to have as many people as possible immune to this virus so that we stop spreading it as much. But as I've said to you, the virus can survive in the, uh, in the environment for uh, you know, uh, a certain period of time, and that means you can still spread it. So we do need to have as many people as possible immunised. Figures are probably around about 60% or so would be actually quite effective for us. But for those who choose not to have it, they may well um, find themselves having restricted uh, opportunities to actually mix you know, uh, with the rest of the community until the immune rates uh, lift up, which may take a period of up to five to 10 years if we try to look at natural herd immunity. Yeah, which is quite remarkable. And I suppose, again, with without knowing exactly what's coming down the line, these, these are best guesses at the moment, but they're, they're educated guesses from all the research and the understanding that you've had. And so uh, important as we, we think about this and, it's, and it becomes debate in the, the public forum. 0428 899 899 to text through your question to Dr Rob. Anne has just texted through and says, Dr Rob, are there any nutritional aids that might build up the immune system that may help us resist the virus or at least help us cope better if we contract the virus? Yeah, we, we, we would like to know if there were, unfortunately, again, a new virus and we, we, we uh, have no information on uh, what may or may not have, uh, help you in that setting. It, if you go into this inf in infection in a, um, a fitter, stronger state, 
that means you've got a lot more reserve. You know, if you're unfortunate to end up in intensive care, we always know that someone who's fit and strong going into intensive care has a better chance than someone who's got plenty of other illnesses. Um, but uh, and that's really a fitness state. Uh, but you know, this virus has been, you know, sadly we've we've lost two thirty-year-olds in this state, uh, and we've we've had a number of twenty-year-olds in intensive care uh, as well. Um, so, so really, at this stage, no, we don't have any information on what uh, may help you with regards to diet. Um, but as you said, stay as healthy as you can. That's obviously the best one. Use that one hour of exercise to get out as best as you can at the moment. Well, that's that's for mental health relief. You've got to do that. Yes. <laughs> exactly. I know. We we had you know obviously with the weather of the last few days. I think it was a two or three days, and and we saw a break in the weather today. We're like kids, every one of you outside. We're going. So yeah, and off we go. We had to take the moment. Um, zero four two eight eight double nine eight double nine to text through your question for Dr. Rob. We have him just for a couple more minutes. Uh, Peter asked the question, Dr. Rob, what is your favourite research and why? There you go. Yeah, great question. Last week was uh, National Science Week and I did a lot of uh, media on, on that. And, uh, you know, I, I'll date myself here, Clayton. My favourite research was space research. Um, yes. But uh, uh, it uh, I was very inspired by uh, man landing on the moon, um, which sort of uh, got my inquisitiveness up. But being a doctor, anything that actually helps the quality of life that people have is in fact actually the sort of research that I love doing and also assisting in getting that to actually to the right people, which is even um, a tough research area. It's called implementation science, but that's my favourite. Yeah. Uh, and I think in the end, in this moment, right now, we're very, very glad that that's your favourite as well as we're getting closer to, to where we should be. Um, Dr. Robin, in terms of, you know, you, you've mentioned already, you know, there's a, the physical aspect of this COVID-19 happening at the moment, you know, that, that obviously we need to be, um, you know, doing the right thing beyond that. You've talked about the mental aspect, you've talked about the physical aspect of it as well, and, and then obviously keeping abreast of what, what's occurring. Um, have you uh, perhaps in the, in the work that you've done um, help, got ideas to help people in terms of what's the best mindset we should be having? I think we've all been on a roller coaster. At the start, it was new, it was different, it was oh, okay. It, not that it was exciting in a positive sense, but it was different. And so we did these things. And then, you know, we went through some of the hard yards. We thought we were out of it. Then we've gone back even harder here in, in Melbourne, as you've said. Um, is there a best mindset and, and way we should be thinking uh, to help us and our families going forward, you think? Yeah, look, uh, I was a, a practicing GP for, for most of my career and I did a, uh, additionally did mental health uh, training for that. There's, um, there's some strategies called cognitive behavioural strategies, which a lot of these are actually on sites like Beyond Blue and others. Um, when you find your thoughts spiralling down into the negative is to, in fact, actually practice some upward talking talk about some positive things or some nice things um, or talk about some joy for instance um, and I was explaining to say my staff um, you know I, I look out the window and I see a, a beautiful little um, rosella or something land in the backyard and to me that's the joy for the day um, but it is fantastic um, you sort of sort of thinking about that now it sounds very simplistic but when we find ourselves spiraling down spiral up the other one is the news is depressing maybe you shouldn't watch the news for a day um, okay, if you can avoid that, or, or try not to look at things with COVID and try to look at others. Try to find um, uh, connection points um, with particularly your vulnerable relatives and family um, and check in on them all the time. There's a lot of fun you can have now with a lot of these online platforms. So, uh, you know, I, I have breakfast with my parents a couple of times through the week on the 
on, online. Um, they're both in their early 80s, uh, and I can't hold them because if you know if I had the virus and saw them and gave it to them, it would be fatal to them. So, in the in the sense of actually still doing those things, and and it's fantastic. Just the idle chatter and sharing a cup of tea or something like that with relatives is is important. The other one is if you are struggling, is make it known. Don't hold it in. It's very important. We, we are all struggling. Believe me, if you, you know, I can tell you, I'm miserable. I'm stressed, and and I'm I'm, I'm upset about what's going on. So I've said it. I feel better by doing that. It is so important, isn't it? And um, you know, it's so interesting the things you've said. I've done each of those, as we said. I've said had to say it out to help myself. I've at times deliberately not talked about COVID with people or watch the news. And I, I think it's it's okay to do that. We don't have to be saturated in all of this the entire time. Final question yeah. from from me, Dr. Robin. We will let you go. We thank you so much again for your time. You know, you and your team at the CSIRO, uh, as we've been mentioning, been working pretty much nonstop on this for months and months. Um, you're getting closer with it. We have a, a you know a faith base to many people who listen to this radio station. I'm sure they'd love to pray for you, support your team. What's the best way? Is it sending messages of support via email? What could they pray? Those sorts of things. What's the best way to actually support you and your team? Well, well, look, the team do like getting um, uh, getting support. <laughs> some some of the finest letters we've got are from some of the youngest Australians. You know, sending us letters for thank you, scientists, for working so hard with a nice picture. Um, it's no question that Excellent. stuff really does buoy boy up the staff, and 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 it, and it is it is it is uh, very reassuring for everyone to know that people are out there thinking about us and the efforts we're making, but. Again, it doesn't take it away for those um, people that are fighting for their lives in the hospitals at the moment that we really should be thinking uh, for them and also um, for the vulnerable people in our community that um, are really having a tough time through the lockdown and uh, and also job losses and things like this. I think um, you know we're we're all um, we're all thinking about them, which is really what keeps us doing our work. Yeah, absolutely, Dr. Rob. We've been so blessed to have you on once again. Thank you for your your work that you're doing. Uh, please encourage your team for us. We we thank you so much for the insight, the the advice you've given us this evening. My pleasure, and uh, keep well, everyone. Please. Dr. Rob Grenfell, he is the head of the Biosecurity and Health Unit of the CSIRO, uh, joining us here on 89.9 The Light.